Welcome to the Pivot Fund Pod, where we hold conversations that disrupt journalism and philanthropy. My name is Zuri Berry, and what follows is a discussion on how to turn your board of directors into fundraisers. Kicking off our conversation is Tracy Powell, the Pivot Fund's CEO. So I know that everyone knows I'm a stickler for time, so I'll get started now as people start joining us. I am Tracy Powell, the founder and CEO of the Pivot Fund. This is an important conversation for the Pivot Fund, as well as those who are joining us today as we go through our own board building process. So I will be behind the scenes taking copious notes. Today, you are in the very capable hands of Jamal Glenn, the board chair for the Pivot Fund. We want to thank him and our panelists today as well as our sponsors, the Reynolds Journalism Institute and the Knight Foundation for sponsoring today's conversation. And with that, um, again, I'll give give us a few more minutes, but I want to go ahead and turn it over to Jamal. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you, Tracy. I'm incredibly excited to be here today. Hello, everyone. My name is Jamal Glenn. We're about to have an incredible conversation, and, and I couldn't be more thrilled to be here moderating it. I am the chairman of the board of directors at the Pivot Fund. I am also an entrepreneur, an investor, university professor, and writer. But I come to this conversation today primarily from the perspective of a longtime board member. In addition to the Pivot Fund, I serve on the board of local independent online news publishers, which is the nation's largest membership organization for independent news publishers. And the place where I've spent the last couple of years working really closely with Tracy and where I've come to know her. I've also served on the board of a, of a number of other non-media, non-profit organizations. But today, we're really lucky to have people on this panel who have deep expertise in leadership and fundraising for, for, for non-profit news organizations. This conversation is hosted by the Pivot Fund and sponsored by the Donald W. Reynolds Journalism Institute at the University of Missouri. Full disclosure, I am a University of Missouri Journalism School graduate. And the conversation today is really inspired by our sincere interest in having BIPOC news publishers and executives foster better relationships with their boards and our hope that they can activate these crucial relationships and stakeholders to work on their behalf. So without further ado, the name of the game here, the question in front of us is, how can we turn our board members into fundraisers? We are seeking tactics and advice And in that spirit, we are joined by two incredibly remarkable individuals who can help us out. The first is Kyra Kyles. She is the CEO of YR Media based in Oakland, California. YR Media works with BIPOC content creators between the ages of 14 and 24 and provides immersive media arts education, mentorship, support, and paid career track employment. Kyra joined YR Media in 2020. Prior to that, she worked in philanthropy at the Field Foundation, where she oversaw their media and storytelling portfolio. She is also a past editor-in-chief and senior vice president at Ebony. Welcome, Kyra. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. We are also privileged to be joined by Elisa Liz Munoz, who is the executive director of the International Women's Media Foundation, based in Washington, D.C., The IWMF is a global organization built to serve the holistic needs of women and non-binary journalists. The IWMF provides reporting opportunities, fellowships, grants, safety training, and emergency aid. Aletha has led the IWMF since 2013 and has been with the organization for almost decades. Welcome, Aletha. Thank you. 
So I'd love to start today quite broadly for a question for both of you and get a sense of how do you think about engagement from your boards and, and what, what, kind, what kind of contributions do you get from your boards and what are your overarching philosophies about engaging with board members? Let's start with Kyra. Oh, just pick on me, Jamal. Okay. You know, I think that when we think about our board, it's really thinking about them as storytellers and being able to go out and competently talk about what our organization is doing and what is our mission. And so the best way for them to be really strong storytellers is for us to be in strong communication with them. We have to make sure that they understand what we're up to, what our young people are up to, our young content creators, engage them with the content that we produce, but also with the vision that we have for the organization so that they can be part of that and shape it. And so I think the relationship is has got to be one about transparency. It has to be one about continuation. You don't want to just have a situation where you are talking with your board only the three or four times a year that you are together in a board of directors meeting in a very formal setting. So I would say that. And then in terms of participation, they provide about, they've done a lot of things for us. So we don't, we don't want to look at them purely, you know, from what can they bring us in terms of contributions. We also ask them to open up their networks to us. But in terms of end of year giving, we have a hundred percent participation. And in fact, predating me, one of our board members helped us to purchase the building that Wire Media is in, in downtown Oakland. So really powerful connections in order to keep those going, really just have to keep that communication flowing and have a conversation and then have it be fully transparent so that we can be on the same page and be aligned. Wonderful. Alisa, same question to you. How, how do you think broadly about engagement with your board members and what is your overarching philosophy on how you work with them? Well, I couldn't agree more with Kyra. Thinking about engaging with my board members is something that I am constantly doing and always trying to improve. And that constant communication is really important. My overall philosophy about board members in general is that you really have to think holistically about what each member can bring to you. It's not always going to be the high net worth individuals, but it might be something equally important like communication with the people that you're trying to serve, or even, you know, if you have some big names on your board, everybody brings something. And I think it's important to recognize that not everybody is going to play the same role. I mean, we all know the worker bees on our board. We all know the people with strong financial connections, and they're all equally important. Wonderful. You know, our audience today is really folks from the media and publishing world. And so what I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you, let's start with Elisa, is what do you think publishers specifically, sort of executive directors, people running nonprofit organizations in the media space? Is there anything in particular you feel like you need from board members? For the IWMF in particular, and I think for any news media organization, they need diversity. I think it's just critical that we work towards building very diverse boards of directors. I mean, all of the research shows that businesses that have diverse boards do better, and that goes for nonprofits too. So what I would really encourage is to have diversity of all kinds, diversity of industry, diversity of age, diversity of ethnicity, race. Everything counts here and obviously diversity of gender because that will give you as an organization 
better insight and better means to project the future and what your constituency needs. Tyra, similar or same question to you, you know, given that you're running a media organization, what do you need from a board that you think might be unique to the media context? I wholeheartedly agree with what Elisa said. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that, that I really focused on when I came into Wire Media and worked with the board on this, because they were of the same opinion and had been pushing for this as well, is that diversity. We also really work to get board members that are within that realm so that they really understand some of the demands that may go beyond a traditional nonprofit. There's a certain requirement for audience development and audience growth that is as important as being sustainable. If you don't have that branding and that visibility, which is something that sometimes might be an afterthought in in another nonprofit. But if you are, as Wired Media is, a media company essentially trying to put out content that has high visibility, you do want to have board members that that understand that. And we have board members from Disney, from Warner Brothers, from MTV, and that's extremely helpful. FX, that really helps. And we also try to recruit from YR Media, I call them YR stars, anyone who's gone through our programming and bring them onto the board. So we do have members with direct ties that went through our programming and can really just help help other board members understand what are the unique needs of a media organization in addition to being a nonprofit. Wonderful. Kyra, I want to stay with you for a second. You know, you have a unique background, right? It was a big change for you to go from primarily editorial roles to building your, you know, earlier in your career to being a grant maker and then someone who's in a position to, to raise funds. You know, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Because I think a lot of people in the audience can kind of relate sitting in these different seats and having these roles. How does all that rich experience sort of roll into your, your role now and how do you work with your board? Well, the funny story, my mom always talks about how she didn't even allow my sister and I to sell Girl Scout cookies when we were little. We were in the Girl Scouts and she would just buy them so that we wouldn't go around having to solicit her friend. So she thinks it is hilarious that I'm in conversations with funders and individual donors. So go ahead and laugh, mom. It's fine. I would say that the similarity that I, I feel is there is it's about storytelling. It really all just boils down to storytelling. And so when I was in journalism, one of my main focuses was diversifying media and making sure that media reflected the society that it claims to serve. So that wasn't much of a departure for me. The aspect of it that comes to fundraising, what I do is I'm very fact-based. So I bring to them the story. Here's how many people that we're serving. Here's our goal. Here's how we're doing. Here are areas that are challenges. Here are opportunities. This is our reach. So it really isn't much different. I just take the elements of my career that deal with how to you know, influence audiences, how to bring them the information and detail that's important. And then I think what really, really makes it, it great for me is that this is something that I've always been passionate about. When I started out my career as a TV reporter in Danville, Illinois, I was always actively involved in the National Association of Black Journalists and other BIPOC chapters engaging with them. And so bringing all those things together is really what my role is at Wire Media. So I don't really look at it in, in as a way of you know, I'm, I'm out here and I'm just trying to raise funds. I'm trying to raise awareness. I'm trying to bring people together. And so I look at it in a very holistic way. And I think that's what makes it all kind of come together in, in one important initiative. Elisa, you spoke a moment ago about the importance of diversity on your board. You know, in pursuit of that diversity, you've managed to attract some, some journalism luminaries to your board. Suzanne Malveaux, Andrea Mitchell, Nora O'Donnell. 
Can you talk a little bit about how some of these big journalism names help in your development process? And what does it take to get people like that to, you know, give their time to your board? Well, I'll start with the question of how you attract those kinds of luminaries onto your board. And I think it is exactly what Kyra said. It's about storytelling. You demonstrate to them that what you're doing is unique and is something that they want to be associated with. Supporting women journalists um, may sound like an easy sell for other women journalists, but not always. There are other organizations, media development organizations, doing a lot of similar work, but you really have to demonstrate your niche and why it is that you're unique. And I think that is what helped us bring on those individuals and also who was there before them. You know, I think a lot of attracting board members is giving them the opportunity to be with their peers or to be a part of something with individuals who they might not cross paths with otherwise. So I think that you have to make it attractive to individuals to be on your board as well. And how do they help an organization? Well, I think we all want those big names attached with our organizations just because of the, the reach that they bring. And one thing that's critical is that they might be on your board, but you have to make it easy for them to share your story. So it's not just having an attractive story, an interesting story, which is obviously critical, but it's figuring out the various ways that makes it easy for them to share those stories and to share your messaging. And we spend a lot of time, uh, experimenting with various ways that we share our stories with our boards. And it, there's not just one answer. You have to be diverse in the way that you approach storytelling and sharing sample tweets or sharing, inviting them to be part of a Facebook story with you. So it's just a constant exploration of the different ways that you can engage. I really love that point around Put, almost putting yourself in their shoes, how to try to understand what makes it attractive to them to join the board. Too often, I, I find myself talking to sort of nonprofit executive directors who are very sort of focused on what is it about the organization. And oftentimes I feel like they miss other things about their organization or their board that might attract board members. So, so in that spirit, I want to pivot a little bit to recruitment, right? Recruitment's a tough thing. And I'm sure everyone here is thinking a little bit about it. Alita, let's stay with you for a second. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you touched upon recruitment a second ago. Could you talk a little bit about like, what are, how do you think about recruitment and how much of your time do you spend on it? Are there particular tools in addition to the ones you just mentioned that sort of you, you like to use when recruiting board members? Well, I think often other board members are a great tool for potential peers or individuals who they think would be great board members. But I think it's also important to reach outside of your board and really think outside of the box and look for individuals who haven't been tapped by your peers for, for their boards. For example, I think if you look at the board members of many organizations, you see them popping up in almost every media group that does similar work. And I think it's really important to engage outside of that. I mean, it's not that sexy. We're just constantly building a list of individuals who we come across. And then we do try to find those connections with our board members. There's nothing like the personal connection to entice somebody to come on board. And so that's the strongest way to recruit. But if you have to do a cold recruitment, we always have 
it's a long game. It's like fundraising. It's a marathon. So maybe we've invited somebody to our Courage and Journalism Awards event for three years and they've come. And then we, we kind of have this, you know, oh, they really do care about what we do. Let's go ahead and invite them. But we're thinking about this, you know, three years out and, and keeping people in mind who have come to our events or who have been donors. And again, it's just a constant evaluation of the media landscape and the philanthropic landscape and the business landscape. Kyra, share with us some of your tools on recruitment or, or your general philosophy. How do you go about doing it for YRU? I definitely agree with Lisa that referrals are really powerful. Getting someone that, that people already know are in their orbit is extremely important. And then you also have somewhat of an, an of a internal vouch for that person. So some of the ways that we've successfully recruited board members is through obviously our other board members who are great and they, they really know the work and what the anticipation and the expectation is. So that's important. We've also gotten some great referrals from staff. As I mentioned, we, we reach out to our alumni. We look at where they're going. We have some great alumni at wonderful places, Vox, New York Times, Washington Post. So if not them, who in their orbit do they think might be someone that would really be aligned with our mission? And I think that it, it, I also, I'm a big Flipboard fan. So I will read articles. And if I see someone that's doing something incredible and it really lines up with what we're interested in doing in the future in Wire Media or what we're currently doing at Wire Media, I will definitely do a cold reach out. And as Elisa said, it may be somewhat of an uphill climb because you, this is someone that you have to get to know, invite them to events. But one of our, our board members that we were able to track her being in, and I'm so excited, came out to see one of our young people's documentaries they produced and was really moved by it and then was interested in learning more. So I think there's not a one way to do it, but I also do read media and, and try to see if there are people that are doing amazing things, for example, in the STEAM field, because we work with that, or in the design field or the journalism field, and, and try to acquaint them with, with the organization. So I want to get tactical for a second on this idea of recruitment. Let's stay with you, Ky Kyra. Who, who, where does the board recruitment responsibility lie with? You know, do you have a board recruitment committee or board development committee? Who usually makes the first ask? Do you have a, a very big profit? Pick up in behind the scenes into the weeds of how do you actually manage that? So we recently created a more formalized system. In, initially, it was happening through our executive committee. We now have a governance committee, and the governance committee is very instrumental in that. I team up with the chair of the governance committee, and we go over names. We have a database. We talk about if there are any connections to this person. What value do they bring to the board? What diversity do they bring to the board? You know, to Elise's point earlier, that is a powerful tool that I think should be in incorporated. People should have a DEI metric within their board recruitment efforts. And then it's about reaching out to the person, or maybe if they've reached out to us, typically I'll do an interview, the governance chair will do an interview, and then we'll ask some other board members that are maybe in a similar space or have a closer affinity to that person to speak with them, and then we bring them in. So it's, it's really a, a partnership between me and the and the board members that are assigned to governance in doing that, but also other board members pitch in and assist and they refer people over as well. Elisa, give us some of your tactics on how you actually manage that recruitment process. 
Sure. We start with a set of guidelines that we've developed as the objectives that we have for the year, and they might change year to year depending on what your organization needs at the time. So normally it starts at the staff level with the list evaluation and compilation. And then I might identify a handful of individuals that I present to my executive committee, and we discuss who we would like to invite to join. And before we actually invite them formally, we have our executive committee members, one or two of them, just talk to them about the organization, about what the role entails, how much of a commitment it is. And really, one of the things that I've learned throughout the years is that you have to be very, very clear about what the commitment is and make sure that people are willing to to fulfill that commitment. But it's no use inviting a board member who is not going to participate in board meetings or do anything else. So we try to be very explicit about what the commitment is. We also are very explicit about the various ways that a board member can be engaged with the IWMF, be it a selection committee, part of an event committee. It's not just about fundraising. So really trying to be clear that there are other ways to give that go beyond fundraising and attending board meetings. Once we identify, you know, two or three individuals we might want to invite to the board, we make sure that they're interested before we put them to a vote. And then we bring them to the full board meeting for a vote. But by then, honestly, we've already vetted them. We've already spoken to them. We already know that they're interested because we don't want to go through that whole process with the full board only to invite somebody who isn't interested and who's going to decline. So it's kind of a multi-track system that you're running just to assure that you're going to have success at the end of the day and that you're not going to be spinning your wheels for weeks trying to find that connection only to get a decline. Thank you. I want to talk, I want to get tactical on how you get the money in the door. One, One of my personal philosophies is that sort of when it comes to fundraising, the boards should set the strategy, but the staff should actually execute the tactic, right? And I think of when, you know, I think of things like you know, having the staff sort of run the day-to-day of the customer relationship management, actually keeping the trains running on time, figuring out what conversations are outstanding, and then having the board engage when necessary to sort of, you know, help close potential funders. And there's obviously different types of organizations. Somewhere most of the money comes from large institutions, somewhere it's more individual. Alisa, let's stay with you. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what is your tactical plan on how you get the dollars in the door, whether that's engaging board members to be responsible for funding, whether that's leveraging board members to go out and close large institutional funders. Bring us behind the scenes a little bit on on how do you do that on a day-to-day basis. Sure. We have set up our fundraising, our individual fundraising, largely around our Courage and Journalism Awards. So it's all, we, we use it as a mechanism through which we get most of our individual and corporate sponsorships. So we, one, make it really easy for our board members who are part of a larger corporation or media organization to solicit their own organizations for sponsorships for our events. So we will write the letter for them ask them who the best person is to address the letter to. Sometimes they will take it and run. Sometimes we send the letter and they support the ask. 
So it depends on the individual, but we are definitely teeing up the ask and making it as easy as possible. For more perspective funding, we do something very similar. We write usually very short and to the point emails that board members can send out to a handful of individuals. And throughout the years, we've tried a number of things where it's, you know, please give us your names. We'll send out the message for you, which is my least favorite tactic, to be honest with you. I much prefer for a board member to be sending out that email on their own. But, you know, there's a negative there too, because then you lose control of the conversation. You don't know when that note has gone out, whether it has gone out. So I think, again, it's all about multiple tracks all the time. Kyra, tell us how you do it. Day to day, give us a little bit of a sense of how you actually manage getting the money in the door. Well, Wire Media, for the most part, has a great deal of foundation investment and multi-year funding. And so we are turning to our board in support of our individual donor efforts. We just launched a membership effort and our board has been instrumental in that. What they typically do is work together. Our, our chief development and growth officer, Rochelle Reeder, and our revenue development committee, or we call them RevDev, and they actually come up with ideas. They talk about new technologies that we can use. They talk about trends that they're seeing within the fundraising community. And they also talk about potential corporate sponsors, things that we can do in that effect. And working together, we do a variety of things. We do have the, of course, the Giving Tuesday effort. We have the end of year campaign where we're getting matches and we usually arm our board with the information and they send it out into their networks. But in addition to that kind of tactical on the ground work, again, they're introducing us to their networks. They're leveraging their own corporate benefits. A lot of our board members have done that. We've got a lot of in-kind equipment that some of our, our board members have helped us get, get a handle on and relationships that we're building. So there are a variety of ways that they assist us and that can range anywhere from that end of year giving kind of boost that, that all nonprofits kind of have to, have to do to just really higher level strategic efforts. And it really is that, you know, our staff really is doing the work on the ground, but our board members are amazing and willing to pitch in wherever they can, leverage whatever relationships. We ask them, do you know anyone in this circle? And they will tell us and they will foster introduction. So we've gotten a lot of, of great results from, from that approach. Thank you, Bo. I want to talk a little bit about funders on the board. I was having a conversation just this week with a nonprofit executive. You were having this exact conversation about the pros and cons of potential board members being large institutional funders themselves. Aletha, you've got some generous donors, including Craig Newmark Philanthropy, Bank of America. Craig Newmark actually sits on your board, as well as Jessica Oppenheim from Bank of America. Tell us, how do you navigate this? What are the pros? What are the cons? How do you make this happen? Do, you know, are you happy with how it's gone? Take behind the scenes a little bit on how do you think about having funders on your board? Yeah, well, it has actually gone really well for the IWMF. Both of them were longtime funders of the organization before we invited them on the board. And I think for us, that was really important they had already bought into the IWMF long-term. They had bought into the mission. And we feel that having them on the board obviously strengthens our relationship with them. It's 
very different with Bank of America than it is for Craig Newmark to, you know, to be the actual individual versus, you know, somebody from such a large corporation. But it's for us very valuable to have somebody in Bank of America. Jessica is a great advocate for us. And when you're talking about an institution that's as large as Bank of America, I think it's really critical to have somebody there who understands what you're doing intimately. Jessica's on the selection committee for the Courage and Journalism Awards, and she, you know, does so much research about these awardees and becomes so vested in their stories. You couldn't have a better advocate. So I think that's really important. With Craig, he has supported a lot of our work to support working with journalists to combat online violence. And I think it's really important for him to hear about our work on a regular basis. And of course, like Kyra, I'm constantly in touch with both of them, not just four times a year presenting our program. So having that ongoing conversation with some of your biggest donors, I think is really important. Kyra, how do you how do you think about this intersection of funding and board and potentially having funders on the board? In the past, Wire Media, and I think at the point at that point it was known as Youth Radio, did have a funder or funder representative on the board. That hasn't been the case since since I've been there. But I will say that as a former program officer myself, what I thought was was great was that our then president of the foundation that I worked for did not kind of recuse themselves from decisions. But, you know, I, as a program officer, was free to make independent decisions regarding even organizations where that president might have been serving on the board. I think the important thing is, I think it's great to to have relationships like that. I definitely see how there might be ways that you might want to have, you know, a little bit of a guardrail. But I, I do think that it is possible and it is something that I've seen done successfully. We we haven't had that arrangement lately, but it isn't something, it is something that we would definitely want to pursue because I do think it would be great to have someone that is supporting your organization from this kind of larger operational perspective, have someone there on the ground that can also personally attest to the great work that your org is doing. Wonderful. I just want to take a moment to remind our audience that we will be having questions in just about 15 minutes. So start to think about the question. You want to ask Kyra and Aliza. Okay, quickly, let's go to the next thing. I want to talk about when things don't go well on a board, right? Which inevitably will happen. You know, let's start with you, Elisa. You know, are there signs? You know, how do you know when things aren't going well on the board? That could be broader board performance. That could be interpersonal dynamics. Or that could be an individual board member who's underperforming. You know, Tell us a little bit about, you know, how do you get a sense when things aren't going well on the board and how have you navigated that in your experience? Happy to. I was very fortunate because although I've been at the IWMF for a very long time, I have been the executive director for 10 years and my predecessors did a lot of the work of professionalizing the board. We were a founding board of directors and I I was a staff member when we had a founding board and all of the issues that come along with a founding board, as you probably know, but I can just say there's a lot of, a lot of sense of ownership and a lot of lines crossed between implementation and strategic oversight. And so they were able to level set expectations of 
early young organization board members, kind of like a tech company when they go from being a startup to being a formal or a formal corporation. So I would say that that's something that especially young nonprofits have to look out for and really handle the transition in a graceful way. Because at the end of the day, what I always keep in mind is that these people are volunteers and they are doing you a service. And I am always grateful for whatever they are able to bring to the organization. And, you know, I understand the word underperforming, but I'm all, I'm very realistic, I think, that I know that I'm not always going to get the same kind of interaction all year round or even year to year. You know, these are individuals that change careers. And so I know when somebody has started a new job that I'm not going to get the same kind of interaction with them that I had the year before when they'd been at their previous job, you know, for five years and you know, it's different. So I give a lot of leeway for the different kinds of interactions that I have with my board members. We do have term limits. I encourage everybody to have term limits. But again, for me, there are guidelines. I don't believe that you should invite an incredible board member to leave your board because they've hit some or arbitrary term limit. I think term limits are an opportunity to refresh your board and to give people the out because sometimes they want the out, you know? Sometimes you can just say, look, you, you know, your term is up. Thank you for your service. And you know that if you're at that point in the relationship, they probably are too. So that's what I would say about kind of the ups and downs and challenges. I want to pull on something you mentioned a second ago, Elisa. You mentioned sort of not liking the term underperformance. A moment earlier in our conversation, you sort of mentioned you're very clear on expectations around time commitment in the recruitment process. How does your board, how clear is the board with new members around performance objectives or performance metrics? Is that something that, that it's laid out clearly or how, how do you navigate that? You probably won't be surprised to hear that we do it in a very positive way. So at the end of the year, we send everybody a note, just sharing with them what they brought to the organization, you know, Thank you for your service. You, you know, you not only participated in all of our board meetings, but you helped us to do X, Y, or Z. And I think that's kind of a reminder of there is an expectation for me to do very specific things. That being said, as I said before, we have leniency with regard to individual board members. And so if they haven't participated in any board meeting, et cetera, then we would probably just have the conversation with, you know, it seems like you're really busy and unable to perform, you know, your obligations as a board member. Is it time to, you know, to consider your leaving the board, even if it's for a while? And most people, I think, are really welcoming to that conversation and just want to do the right thing. I, Almost all of my board members, regardless of how great they've performed, always feel guilty about not doing more or not doing enough. And I, I always try to share with them that, you know, anything that you do helps the IWMS 
and helps the women journalists who we support. So you should never feel guilty about, you know, not being able to do more. We all do what we can. Kyra, how do you engage? What's your philosophy on when things aren't going well at the board level? Well, the, the good news for me is that we have an incredible governance committee and they are very instrumental in such matters. And so whether it's referring us to resources within board source, which is great and gives some great guidance about what makes a great board? How do you have an engaged board? The governance committee looks at meeting attendance, looks at involvement and engagement, also looks at just general committee makeup and do we have the right committees in place? And they've really been instrumental in steering conversations. We do surveys asking members, like for example, we did implement our own term limits and we asked members who've been doing incredible service for, for long periods of time, you know, how are you feeling? How many more years would you like to, to be of service? Would you like to move into an advisory position? One of the things that, that I think is also important is that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing proposition. If someone may not have the time or the capacity to be active in attending our board meetings or being involved in certain activities, perhaps they would be willing to be an at-large advisor. And there's certainly a great deal of use for that in an ad hoc, one-off sort of way. And so by not severing ties, but creating space for there to be something beyond either being on the board or off the board, we've, we've had a very positive response from members who, as, as Elisa points out, life changes. You, you get that new role or you are serving on another board and, and that takes up some of your time. So we always want to be responsive to that because also, as Elisa said, we have to remember that this is a gift. This is a donation. This time, the, the generosity of, of being willing to leverage your networks of, being willing to work through business challenges or operational challenges. So we always want to be grateful and we always want to be respectful. Thank I you. Totally, I yeah. totally agree with that. Can I just add, I think it's really important. You mentioned the governance committee and for me, it's my executive committee. It should never be staff members that are having these tough conversations with right. board members. Agree. Not even the executive director. Yeah, it's a peer-to-peer -peer interaction. Exactly. So I just wanted to make sure we made that point that you as an executive director or a CEO or whatever should not be put in that position because that is an unbalanced power dynamic and you should be engaging with your other board members to handle those kinds of conversations or any issues that come up with, with other board members. Thank you. That I think, I think for that last point, at least, I think that remembering the sort of fiduciary roles of the board and the executive director are important to remember in not only these circumstances where things aren't going well, but sometimes when, you know, when things are going well, it's just remembering those roles. Okay. So we've talked about getting, you know, how do you get folks on your board? We've talked about, you know, a little bit about how do you activate them to get the dollars in. We've talked a little bit about how do we deal when things aren't going well. Can you talk a little bit about, and Kyra, let's stay with you for a second, about how do you think of crafting the board experience, right? You want to, you got, you got these really talented people on your board. As you both have mentioned, they're volunteering their time. They're helping to bring dollars to the door. How do you think about making the experience one that they are learning from it and getting something out of it and then it's meaningful to them? You know, I had the pleasure a few months ago of meeting a bunch of board members who I've been on board with for a couple of years in person for the first time. You all came together and it was such an enriching experience. I came away feeling like, you know, that the time we spent together was worth all of the previous board meetings over the last couple of years. Wow. 
Talk a little bit about how do you think about crafting the board experience itself? Well, I love that you said that, Jamal. We're in the same boat and unfortunately haven't had that opportunity just yet, but that is the plan for Q1 is to bring board members together in person because the pandemic, I started and then five weeks later, we were in shelter in place. So there are some board members I have never met in person, just a handful that I was able to meet that were local. Uh, I do think that in-person contact is, is very important. We've also had the experience where because all of our programming has been remote, it has been more difficult for board members who are accustomed to being able to come into YR Media and seeing our students working or seeing our youth employees reporting or designing or producing music in the studio. You lose some of that. And so what we try to do with the virtual experience is really bring them in. And when they're a new board member, we invite them to, we have executive team meetings. They come in, they hear from our executive team leaders. What are we working on? You know, what are the the main focuses? We try to talk with them about maybe which committee they might be interested in joining based on their own interest, expertise, and the conversation that we have about that focus. They have a board buddy, somebody who helps kind of guide them through the process that's been around for for a while. And we actually today and tomorrow we're having our share out sessions for our young people that are that have started with our education process. They do kind of a a show and tell, although it's much greater than that. And so board members are going to be attending virtually and some are going to be attending in person for the first time in the last three years. So I think it's, it's, it's an evolving process. You want to find out what are board members interested in learning beyond the mission statement and looking through the financials and all that good stuff. What are they, what are they most interested in, in learning about? What are some ways that you can kind of immerse them into some of the things that, that staff is doing? And that's something that I'm always trying to think about. We also engage them through a board bulletin that informs them each month of what's going on so that there's a connective tissue between the the board meetings. But as things start to open up again, that is, I think, a challenge for me because as a newer CEO coming in and for the last three years being fully in a Zoom box, you know, now I have the opportunity to kind of think of what are things beyond what we've currently done that can really bring our board members into what we're doing and excite them even more about our mission. Thank you, Elisa. You you mentioned some of this stuff throughout our conversation, but tell us a little bit more about how do you think about the board experience itself? Yeah, absolutely. Well, everything that Kyra said, a hundred percent. What we have, we're always thinking about our board meetings in particular. That's obviously when we are engaging with the majority of our board. We have started to have in person meetings. We have. A lot of board members in Washington, D.C., and a lot of them in New York. And so we alternate to give everybody an opportunity to be in person. And those who cannot travel participate by Zoom, and that works out fine. We have the perfect technology to do all of that now. Another thing that we've done recently is really trying to infuse board meetings with discussions and conversations rather than just talking at board members. So in addition to that experience of meeting the people who we serve, which, you know, Kyra does through access to their space, what we've been doing is we open our board meetings with what we call a mission moment, where we invite individuals from our network who have participated in our training or who have received a grant to present to the board what they have been doing. And that's always a great moment. And in addition to that, which sounds like we're taking a lot of time out of the board meeting, not working on business, but is so important, is that we've been inviting guest presenters to come and discuss something 
about the industry that we know everybody is grappling with themselves as board members. So we had somebody talk about mis and disinformation and how they're dealing with that. And it gave board members a great opportunity to talk about their own experiences in their organizations and to ask questions. We had somebody at our last board meeting just a couple of weeks ago talk about what are we going to do about Twitter? Are we leaving Twitter? Are we staying with Twitter? What are the pros and cons? Why are we staying? Why should we leave? And that was also a great conversation. So really thinking beyond our niche of women in journalism, which obviously is what the rest of the meeting is focused on and thinking about the industry as a whole and what are the conversations that our board members would be interested in that impact our work directly, but that maybe are just a little bit outside of our niche area. And I think that that really gives back to board members. I'm always thinking about how can I give back? How can we let board members know that they're going to get something out of our meeting that is going to be directly beneficial to them? And it's not just about us. Thank you. Zuri, you got your hand raised. Yeah, we got a question from the audience. Setting expectations is easier with a brand new board. How do you navigate introducing new expectations or changing expectations with long-term board members? How do you encourage them to give? And I believe that's for both of you. Okay, well, I'm off mute, so I'll go. I'll start. I think what where we've had success is really again working through either the government's committee or working through the executive committee, introducing even modifications to our, you know, thinking about modifications to our bylaws, introducing a policy. Like at one point, our chief growth officer created a document that was contribute, collaborate, connect, and had all board members sign it to acknowledge, yes, we understand different people give in different ways, but there's an expectation that all board members will contribute on some level, whether it's time or whether it's an investment and spelling out what that means and how it impacts the organization, teaming with our then chair of the Revenue Development Committee, who was the person that really pushed that through. So I think it it may be for us more of a peer-to-peer interaction with board members, but of course, staff working on highlighting the needs or highlighting some of the shifts or changes that, that we see needing to happen negotiating that and collaborating with board members on that that are in executive committee governance or both, and then having them kind of help enact that as this is what we used to do. Here's why we may need to shift that. And this is how it works and getting that that buy-in and that feedback from them at that peer-to-peer level. I can add to that. I think that, of course, it's easier with new board members. I think that We haven't really talked about onboarding of board members, but it's as important as onboarding of staff. And so having a really precise way that you are bringing board members on, what you're sharing with them. You know, we used to send them this big fat book and kind of like, welcome. And that is not really a good process. Now we do it a little bit in dribs and drabs, but it's better. But I think that beginning of the year is a great time to renegotiate your relationship with your board members, whether it's with a survey or with a thank you or with a here's what other board members did and thank all of you just kind of to share what the possibilities are. And, you know, people are actually competitive 
And so I think it does spur a little bit of, you know, oh boy, you know, so-and-so brought this incredible funder on board. I could do that. So I think the beginning of the year is a great opportunity. But as Kyra said, I think buy-in, buy-in from the full board about whatever change it is that you're going to be implementing is really important. You know, you can't just bring things on people. They have to be part of the process. I love that point, Elisa, around competition. I find myself silently competing with my fellow board members all the time. And and in a positive way, being encouraged when they bring some meaningful contribution to the organization, thinking, you know, it's time for me to step my game up. So thank you for that point. You know, a few moments ago, you you brought up this point, Elisa, around, you know, when when we're having tough conversations with board members or they're rolling off, that needs to be another board member. It sort of needs to be a peer-to-peer interaction. And that, for me, sort of reminded me that, you know, there's very specific roles that the board has as a governance body that are quite distinct from what you as sort of like the person who's running the organization and overseeing the staff. And, and I think a lot of these questions I've been asking sort of, I've been asking two of you as though these are things that you necessarily do. But I think, quite frankly, some of these things are the responsibility of the board to do for itself. Do you mind just sharing a couple thoughts? I'll start with you, Elisa, and then here, Kyra, would love to get you in. You know, talk a little bit about that dynamic, those distinct roles and, you know, where, you know, have you, how have you navigated when those roles get blurry or when the board isn't doing what it needs to be doing or when they're doing it and it, it, it sort of rubs up against how you see things? Just give me a little bit of sense on like these two roles and the, and the intersection of them and when, how you navigate that dynamic. I'm very fortunate, and I'm sure Kyra is too, that the board members and especially the executive committee are very aware of when they're the ones that need to be communicating with the rest of the board. I I usually offer and then ask the question or say, I think this would be better coming from you. And I've never gotten pushback when I say that. So I think offering is fine if it's appropriate. And it's not always appropriate because like I said, oftentimes you really should not be the one doing this. But but when I do suggest that I think this would be better coming from them. So for example, if we're doing our fundraising for our Courage Awards and you know board members are taking a really long time to submit their pledges, I don't want to be the one to send that reminder. It's a lot stronger and better coming from board members. So I think it's, it is a fine line, but it's one that if, if your board isn't clear on it, it behooves the executive director or head of the organization to, to say, Hey, I think this is better coming from you. Kyra, how do you navigate those situations? That was perfectly articulated. I 100% agree. I mean, I think it is, as we've been saying, it's, it's a partnership, but there is also a distinct you know, power dynamic. And so I think that having board members, especially within your executive committee that are willing to, to partner with you, listen to you and, and help work with their peers. It is, it is a really effective way to, to handle situations such as that. But I, I agree. I am very fortunate in that I do not experience that. So I'd like to talk a bit about the broader macroeconomic environment. We're here today to talk about fundraising, you know, between inflation and high profile layoffs in certain industries and the potential for a looming recession. You you know, you could argue it's a difficult time for funding. I'm curious, how are each of you approaching 
this environment. Do you have any philosophies or things you're doing to get ahead of it? Are you, how often are you talking with your board members? What's your game plan for what could be a challenging macroeconomic environment that could, could quite frankly challenge a lot of your funding sources? Let's start with you, Tyra. Well, you know, I came into Wire Media under challenging economic circumstances. I'm not sure what I would do if I wasn't working in a challenging economic circumstance. You know, I think what we're doing, is, which is what we continue to do, really working with, we, we're fortunate to have funding partners that really believe in Wire Media's mission. And despite the outlook that we're seeing, have actually increased their investment with us and lengthened it because they want us to be sustainable as well. We are just now expanding physically into Chicago. So despite what's been going on for the last three years, we established a virtual Midwest hub and are now building out our physical hub in Chicago. And that is going very well. We really have to think about individual donors. And in that, you know, we, we leverage different things, memberships, other ways that we can engage people. I think you always have to be mindful and you have to be cautious. And we do that mostly from also like being very fiscally responsible and careful about spend and making sure that there are also levers we can push and we can pause certain things if we need to. We can postpone certain things if we need to push them into the future years. But I think for us, our, our method is talking to our board, making sure that they're, they're supporting us and helping us to, to find new individual donors that we can work with, tapping into their own corporate resources and corporate matching and in-kind equipment. But we, we, we know that there is definitely some hesitation but again, we have not, like I said, I started in economics. <laughs> like there's been a prediction of a free fall since the day I started. So for me, you know, I, I hate to say I'm almost slightly numb to it, but at the same time, you know, we have to keep pushing forward. We have to prioritize our mission. But at the same time, we are seeing really positive signals from foundations and individual donors and membership involvement. Elisa. Yeah. I, I agree with everything that you've said, and including that I, I don't remember when there haven't been dire predictions one way or another. I mean, the IWF has traditionally, and, and I mean, way back before I was the executive director, been reliant on sponsorships for media organizations. And obviously, they have been in decline for many, many years. So while most major mainstream media organizations do support the IWF, the amount of their support has definitely decreased. And so for me, it's like with your own personal financial investments, diversify, diversify, diversify. You have to have as many funding sources as possible. I mean, that's been one of our main goals at the IWMF in the last five years. And I think we've gone from, you know, just a handful of funders to now, you know, more than 25 funders, different foundations, different kinds of foundations, different size foundations. And I think it's just really important, even when we have had, you know, one major funder come in at an extremely high level. For me, I was, I tell people, I mean, I was thrilled for about a minute and then I was panicking because I knew that I had to offset that high level of support with a lot of other support because it just caused such a huge imbalance. So I think diversity is great. And while the economy is terrible, the stock market is not, or, you know, is not, it, it goes up and down. And so foundations really are being as generous as ever. And I think the recognition of the importance of the news media, diversity in the news media, local news media, 
safety in the news industry. I hate to say it, but you know, as the world goes awry, our business gets better because there is more recognition of the value of the work that we do. And so I have not in the past few years really felt a huge backlash from economic downturn or even COVID. COVID led to huge donations being made to the IWMF to support journalists who were suffering from the impact of COVID on the industry. So we've been very lucky at the generosity of our sponsors and our funders. Thank you. I, I know we're getting close to time. Zuri had his hand up. I think we might have another audience question, perhaps. Yeah, there's a question for Kyra. Can you talk about your experience fundraising locally versus nationally? Are you now recruiting board members who can support case making with local donors? Can you talk about that difference there? Absolutely. We we definitely have two different you know, strategies going in terms of like the national and the local. I would say I could take the Midwest hub, for example. I'll do it quickly because I know we're short on time. But for the Midwest in particular, I'm from Chicago. I moved to Oakland for this role. So I do still have really strong connections there. But as I continue to live in Oakland, because that's where I want to be, I know that there we're hiring for people on the ground who can make those connections with funders and really connect them to the work. Because me speaking from a Zoom in Oakland is not going to be as effective as somebody who's actually there in the community at this time. And so we definitely have a lot of national support, which is really great. And they actually support local. There's, they're supporting more of that space-based work. So we have them supporting space-based work. But when you're dealing with local or regional funders, it is far more effective, I find, to have people on the ground that can really tell our story. And we're lucky enough to have a great employee, Kathy Cheney, in Chicago, who has been doing a lot of that. And that team is going to be growing so that that is not solely on her because she's more editorial, but a powerful advocate for the work that we do. Well, I just want to say that I have, I feel incredibly privileged to be able to have this conversation with two exceptional nonprofit leaders. And so I just, you know, tremendous gratitude to Kyra and Elisa for your time, your voices, your experiences in our discussion today. I think everyone who's watching this now and who watches the recording later will be better off because of it. Please check out the wonderful work of YR Media and the International Women's Media Foundation. Um, they are absolutely deserving of your support. Please check out rjionline.org to see the other important programs that the Donald W. Reynolds Journalism Institution is putting together. Lastly, you can support the Pivot Fund by visiting thepivotfund.org or by checking out the Pivot Fund store and picking up some nice swag. And before we go, I would love to pass the baton to Tracy Powell for one last word. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jamal, Alisa, and Kyra. This has been an awesome conversation. I've taken plenty of notes and I will have the replay of this video going all throughout the holiday because I got to watch it again and again. So thank you so very much. I want to thank Sir Barry for doing the back-end production of this. Again, thank you. We also want to show our appreciation to our sponsors, the Knight Foundation and the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I want to wish everyone happy holidays, and we will see you next year.